Thank God, thank God, thank God. He's so good, he's so good. Praise God. Well, it is good to be here. It's good to see you. I'm very thankful for you. I'm very thankful for these people. You're all in this arm motion right here. This is including everybody. And uh, always thankful, and especially thankful when you go away. It's funny, some people go away, and, and uh, when you go to another place, you're kind of sad. Uh, some people go away, and, and they're sad, you know. Man, I, I have to go back home, or this is, boy, this is how good it is, but now I have to go back home. But it's really the opposite. When I go away, and when Tia, Tia and I go somewhere, we're always just so thankful. We come back so thankful for where God has placed us, and where God's put us, and the people he's put us with. And believe me, it's not the border markers. It's, it's not that smell that you get when the upgrader is at full uh, blast. It's not, it's not anything like that. It is knowing that you are where God puts you, knowing you're with the people that God put you with. And uh, there's nothing like that. And you could be in Siberia and still feel that if you're with the right people in the right place. So I believe we are. And if you have a Bible this morning, would you turn it to the book of John? I've been preaching a lot out of John lately, if you've noticed, Um, and and there's good reason for that. I believe there's such life in the words of Jesus, such life in his teaching. John, particularly, is such a great book because most of the words of Jesus found in John are directed towards us as his disciples. Many of the words in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's there's a good mix of uh, wonderful parables of the kingdom, there's wonderful miracles, Uh, but John has a lot to say in a very small group of people. Uh, Almost half of John is spoken to just just a small inner circle of people that Jesus spoke to. Um, And so there's a lot of things that he would say to them that he wouldn't say to everybody else. And so a lot of times when I read John, I feel like, wow, he's speaking directly to me. And he is. I mean, but I'm, I'm not saying one book is better than the other. You need to read them all. But lately I've been finding such life out of the book of John because I'm realizing these are the keys uh, to, to really being a disciple. These are the keys to really being a son. These are the keys to really being a follower of Jesus. A lot of people think a follower as somebody that is just a fan. You know, like I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. Basically, to a lot of people, it might just mean I'm a fan of Jesus. I, I'm, I, I, uh, I like, you know, I've got all his albums. I've got his greatest hits. Um, you know, I've got his baseball cards. I'm a fan. But to be a follower by definition, means you have to go where he goes. means you have to go where he's been. If you can't expect to be a supernatural living person, if you can't expect to see miracles in your life, if you can't expect to hear the voice of God, then you can't really expect to follow Jesus past the point of childhood. Because as you know, Jesus was able to do what he did by what the Father told him to do, by what the Father showed him, by what the Father did through him. And when he says, follow me, he's not just saying, walk behind me. He's saying, go where I go, do what I do, carry out the ministry that I left for you. That wasn't supposed to rhyme. But it did. So, you know, we're just going to pretend I did that on purpose. John 15. Over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about um, coming out of slavery, understanding who we are, um, as far as it is, it's concerned with our position in Christ, but 
Also knowing that we are sons of the king, we're daughters, of course, your daughters, of course, but I think everybody here understands that to be called a son in Bible terms is different than to be called a daughter. Because to be called a daughter in Bible times meant that you had a little bit less rights than the son. But the firstborn son had all the rights, right? The son, he was the executor of the will, he was the one who carried out the business. And you understand that the scripture says, in Christ there is no male or female. There's no second class citizens in the body of Christ. So if you're a man or a woman, you have the rights of a son. Don't be offended by that. Don't say, well, I'd rather be a daughter. You are a daughter. Thank God. Because the scripture also says sons and daughters of the living God. You are, I mean, thank God, sons and daughters, sons and daughters who all have the rights of the firstborn son. So in John chapter 15, we're going to understand there are three terms that need to be clear to us. Three, three names that sometimes you're going to be called. One is a slave, one is a friend, and one is a son. And at some point in your walk with Christ, you'll be all three of those. Now, you came out of slavery. We've got to understand, we came out of slavery. You are not a slave of sin. You are not a slave to the world. You're not a slave to your own desires. You became free through Jesus Christ. You, when the sun sets free, is free indeed. The tricky part comes in when we understand that we free, freely and willingly gave ourselves to be slaves of Christ as well. Every single one of the writers of the epistles of the New Testament, the epistles are the letters written to the churches. So who do we got? We got Paul, we've got James, we've got Jude, we've got Peter, we've got John. Every single one of these men at some point called themselves a bondservant of Christ. The word bondservant is a fancy word we made up to make it sound nicer. The original word is simply the Greek doulos, which means slave. They all said that I'm a slave of Christ. I'm not a slave to the world. I'm not a slave to sin. I am a slave of Christ. John, when he writes the book of Revelation, says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave to his bondservant John. To give to his faithful bondservants who are in Christ. So that means that really the only people that the book of Revelation is addressed to is you. That explains a lot, doesn't it? You know, it's funny, but you'll find a lot of people who know no other scripture in the word, but they love the book of Revelation. Because it's got monsters in it. It's like a horror movie. And they're freaked out. When, when the world started talking about Judgment Day, people were freaked out. and They didn't know what to expect. People were flipping through the book of Revelation. But they don't get the book of Revelation. They don't understand it. They don't comprehend it. That's why they're scared when they read it. But it wasn't written for them. There are a lot of books they can read before they read the book of Revelation. But the book of Revelation is the one that's specifically addressed to faithful bondservants of Christ. Because you can't get it until you get him. You're not going to understand it until he opens your eyes to some things. Because it is called the book of Revelation. To reveal means to uncover. Did you know the word apocalypse is not a scary word? We hear apocalypse and we think of like nuclear bombs and... We, you know, we think of, uh, you know, 
all sorts of terrible things. The apocalypse is, is, is scary. But apocalypse, if you, if you were to talk to our, our wonderful, educated brother Spiro here and ask him what the word apocalypsis means, he'd tell you it means to reveal, to uncover. It doesn't mean to die a horrible death. It means to uncover something. And what are we uncovering? God gave the, it says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's revealing himself. He's revealing his plan. He's revealing the mysteries of God. He's revealing the future for you. And do you know when you set yourself in a place as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, you open yourself up to know things you didn't know before and to know the future. But that's why we also need to understand that we are not just merely slaves. Because even though these men called themselves slaves of Christ, I can't find a place after the Gospels in the, in the, in the epistles and in the letters written to the churches, I can't find a place where God continually calls you a slave to Him. Even though you are enslaved to Christ, even though you're a slave of righteousness, do you know He treats you like He treats a son? He talks to you like He talks to His sons. He speaks to you. He is giving you the inheritance of sons. And so we have to understand that we are friends of God through Jesus. We are sons of God through His blood. And we have made ourselves slaves to God. Now, that's important. But it's important that you don't think like a slave. This is going to get tricky, but it'll get fun, so don't worry. Let's read. John 15. And we're going to start at verse 1 so that we can get some context. So don't worry. I'm going to read kind of quickly through these first few verses because we don't have time to teach on all of it. But we're going to go through it so that you have some context for the rest of it. He says, I am the true vine. So there must be other vines, right? I'm the true one. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean or already pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Not a little, a lot. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And he is thrown away, sorry, and they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Wow. That doesn't sound like something a slave could say, does it? I mean, think of your idea of slavery. Does does a slave typically get to ask for whatever they want and they get it? No. There's something different here, isn't there? He says this. My father is glorified by, by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about when he says in John 17, he says, even as I've been sent by the father, so I sent you in the same way. When he says just as it's exactly the same way, in exactly the same manner that the father loved me, I love you. He says. Abide in my love. 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you so that your joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, I skipped a verse by accident. Let's go back to verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Now, when he says commandment, that means, it literally means to join you to something, to, to bind you to something. Especially in, in the old Jewish tradition, a rabbi would bind them to certain things. You would be bound to these teachings. I, and I will bind you to this. And so Jesus is saying, I am, this is my commandment. This is what I bind you to. This is what I'm joining you to. I am joining this with you that you love one another. In a way, you are enslaved to love. That's not a bad thing. Now, don't get all these weird songs in your head. Slave to love, I think that is a song. That's not what we're talking about. This is my commandment, that you love one another. If you look at every single thing God has ever said to humanity, what he said to do and what he said not to do, Jesus said all of these things hang on the commandment love. You may look and say, I don't want to have anything to do with the commandments of the Old Testament. I'm a new covenant believer. Praise the Lord, you're a new covenant believer. But you've got to understand that everything God said, He said to join you to His love. That everything, that every, every sin the world has ever create, committed, every, every sin man has sinned against God has been a violation of the love of God. That's what it is. Think, if you love God and you love your neighbor, will you steal from that guy? If you love your neighbor, will you murder him? If you love God, will you put another God before him? You see, everything falls down to his love. And everything that breaks that is a violation of that love. This is the one commandment, love. Just, oh, he should have just stopped. Wouldn't it have just been easier if he had stopped right there? Love one another, and then we can make up whatever that means. Love one another. Okay, I'm going to buy you some chocolate. Love one another. Okay, well, I'll call you on your birthday. No, love one another just as, in other words, exactly the same way that I loved you. That's how you love one another. How did Jesus love you? He laid down his life. He did not count your trespasses against you. He freely forgave. He loved when you gave him nothing to love for, he loved. He loved because he was love. Not because you loved him, but because he loved us. The love of God is a creative love. It is not a recycling love. The world only knows recycling love. You give me a little love, I can give it back to you. You treat me well, I'll treat you well. The love of God is purely creative. It comes from God himself. Because he is love, you do not need to show me one ounce of love before I show you every bit I've got. I will love you when you hate me. I will love those that persecute me. I will bless those that bless my enemies. I will love 
when you give me nothing to work with. Because I don't need your love. I need his love. So just as I have loved you, and in case that wasn't clear, he says in the next verse, greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. In case you wanted to find a loophole in what he meant by love like I loved you, he just just made it more specific. I'm going to lay my life down for you. That's what love is. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. What does he command you? To love. No longer, listen to this, no longer. So up to this point, it's fair to say he would call you slaves. He says, no longer do I call you slaves. That means before this, you were slaves. John chapter 8, he talks to the, to the people, the, the Jewish leaders who were talking to him, and he says, you are a slave. They said, we've never been a slave. We're Abraham's descendants. How can you call us a slave? How can you say that you'll set us free? We've never been enslaved to anyone. He says, you are a slave. He says, you're a slave to sin. And he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does. And he says to them at this point, no longer do I call you slaves. I call you friends. What a great statement. What a beautiful thing that you can base your whole life on. He calls me his friend. What does that mean to you, though? What does it mean to be called a friend? Let's let him define it for us, right? Because we could define it. Say, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess that means he posts something on my Facebook wall every now and then. Or, I mean, I guess that means... No, let's, let's not guess. Let's see what he says. Here he describes the difference between a slave and a friend. He says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So the difference between a slave and a friend is what you're shown. The difference between a slave and a friend is what you're entrusted with. The difference between a slave and a friend is a slave has no clue what's going on, but a friend knows. You can go through life and act like the rest of the world. You can even act like a big chunk of the body of Christ and just let life happen to you. And just say, whatever happens must have been supposed to happen. But that is not the way God treats you. You go through life, because here's the problem with that. The Apostle Paul, let's take him as an example, right? Have you heard this? By well-meaning, well-intentioned, thank God for them, brothers and sisters, but I've heard this many times in the body of Christ. Well, we tried to do it, and it kept failing. It must not have been the will of God. But if you're the Apostle Paul, your whole life must not have been the will of God because you had problems everywhere you went. People beating you. People stoning you to death. Then you get up and do the same thing. This must not be the will of God. It's too hard. There's too many things coming. If it was the will of God, it would just naturally happen. He would have quit, wouldn't he? If he hadn't known what the will of God is, he would have quit. Do you know when he went to Jerusalem, or sorry, he went to Rome, they told him, you go there, they will bind you. They will bind your hands and your feet. And he goes, I already knew that. 
You're just confirming what God already told me. You see, God didn't send him there and then he's surprised by becoming a prisoner. God was faithful to his friend, to his son, to let him know you're going to be bound, but I'm going to be with you. You're going to be put in front of judges, but I'm going to speak through you. He's not surprised. He's ready. And you don't have to go through life expecting that, you know, well, I'll just see what happens because this must be God's will. That's fatalism. We do not believe in fate. We believe in God. We believe in a God who doesn't just see the future. He's already there. We believe in a God who does not just remember the past. He's in the past, too. He's everywhere. And so here's the deal with God. He is not just keeping these things from you and saying, boy, you've got a surprise waiting for you. He unveils things, reveals things to you as you're faithful. So things are revealed to you so that you can walk out as somebody who walks in the light, not in the darkness. The difference is somebody in the darkness doesn't know where they're going and they bump into things and they're embarrassed. In Loon Lake, few months ago, I took one of our faithful guys that's been coming. His name is Ben. And Ben's just a wonderful guy. Just thank God for Ben. But he's a good sport. And I, I said, Ben, can I use you in this example, as an example? And I put a blindfold under his eyes and spun him around a few times because Ben's a good sport. And, <laughs> and I told him to go to the office. Of course, you don't point him to the office because that's way too easy. You point him somewhere else and then tell the congregation. To and so let's find where Ben goes. And, of course, Ben made us all laugh because Ben is a good sport. And Ben ran into the front row a little bit, and he ran into the pool, knocked some flowers over. It took him a long time to get to the office. And a lot of things happened on the way because he was walking in darkness. And everything, everywhere he went, he had to go by what he felt to go to the office. He had to feel things. He, had to, he always had to go by what he felt because that's all he's got. But you are not a slave. You are a son, a daughter of the king. You're a friend. And he shows you where you're going. You don't walk in the darkness. You walk in the light. And so if you, I tell you to walk to the office, you're going to go straight there, aren't you? And if somebody stands in your way to block you, what do you do? You go around them to, to somebody. <laughs> somebody I, see, I see different answers. Some of you are like, I'd go around them and someone like, go right through them, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the difference, right? We would, we, this is church, so we would try going around first. You know, if you're blocked, it doesn't let you go around, you, you escalate. But uh, until then, you try to go around, and you get there. Does it slow you down that much? Does it stop you? No, because you know where you're going, and you can see the obstacles, but, but they're not going to stop you, and you don't even have to feel anything. If I told you to walk to the office, you'll probably not touch anything until you touch that doorknob because, because you don't have to go along the front row. You don't have to go along the stage. You don't have to feel people. You can just go and see when you walk in the light, you don't have to go by your feelings. You don't have to go by circumstances. You can go by what God has told you, where he's told you to go, and you can go straight there. Amen. It takes you a lot less time, and you're not discouraged when things get in your way because you can see past those things. You can see around those things. It's so important that you realize no longer does he call me a slave. Because the slave does not know. 
what the master is doing. Now, if your brand of theology teaches you you'll never know what God is doing, then you will live the rest of your life as a slave with results that are much less than God intended for you. If you will understand that you are a friend and a son and that everything he has ever wanted you to know, he's going to tell you if you can only listen. Then you'll walk in the light as he is in the light. Now, Paul had a lot of, had a lot of obstacles, had a lot of issues that came up. No one promised you you'd have a life of, of uh, roses and lollipops, but did he ever have to not do what God told him to do because of these obstacles? Did, did he ever have to say, I give up? Did he ever have to say, you know what, the gospel is just not going to be preached because I can't do it? No, he, with, the, with the exception of a couple small instances, he went everywhere he was supposed to go because doesn't matter what you do. doesn't matter. I mean, people might say, well, he had to go without money sometimes. Yes, he did. But do you, can you find me a scripture that says, I wanted to go to this place, but I didn't have money to go? No. Why? Because if he knew he was supposed to go, he knew God could provide. He was persecuted. Did it stop him? The dude was stoned to death, and it didn't stop him. When you know where you're supposed to go, you can't be stopped so important that you understand I'm supposed to know some things because I am not a slave anymore. Now, I make myself a slave of Christ. I am a slave. In regards to my obedience, I'm a slave. In regards to my position, I'm a son. Do you understand the difference? When it comes to my obedience, I am like a slave to his master. I don't have my own will just as Jesus didn't have his own will. You see, here's the thing. When it gets tricky for you to understand uh, the relationship between a son and a father and how you should relate to God, you don't have to go any further than to look directly. Just look at Jesus. Look at his life. He showed you what a son was supposed to be like. Thank God. He showed us. And what did he say? He says, I don't do anything unless the father tells me to do something. I don't say anything unless he tells me to say it. And he says, therefore, I'm never alone. The Father is always with me because I always do what's pleasing to Him. Can you think of Jesus as a slave? It might be hard to think that way because He was the Son of God. But as far as His obedience was concerned, He was a slave to God. He did exactly what the Father told Him to do. But His position was not that of a slave. Some, some guy didn't know what was going on. His position was of that as a son who had authority, who had rights. And you have the authority of the Son. That's why you've been given the name of Jesus, the name above every name. So you've been given that authority as a son of God, as as his son, as his daughter. You've been given the authority through Jesus Christ. That's huge. You have not been given the authority of the Father where you can make up the plans. You see, that's the difference. The Father is the one that makes the plans. He's the one that writes the music. He's the one that designs it. But the Son, the Son is the one that carries it out. And the Son has all the power that the Father has because the Father gave Him that power. And the Son has all the ability that the Father needs Him to have because the Father gave it to Him. So if if you say, that's how a son should act. That's how I should act with God, just like Jesus did. I should say, what's the plan today, boss? I'm going to do it. 
And you don't say, well, I can't do that because everything he's ever told you to do, he's given you the power to do it. The voice of God is always accompanied with the grace of God. Anything he says, there's the grace to do it. Anything he, he, he shows you, you can and will accomplish it if you'll just say, yes, Lord, your power, not my own, but you're working through me. All right, let's, let's keep reading. Slave doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things. All things. He didn't leave anything out, did he? All things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Why? That you would go. Oh, I wanted to stay here that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you that you love one another. So he's just said, I don't call you a slave. Do you know a few verses later? Something like six verses later? Let's see. Not a lot. Not a lot of verses later. Same chapter. He calls him a slave again. Is that confusing? (laughs) Not a lot of verses later, he says, if they hated me, they'll hate you. For a slave is not above a master. Not above his master. Wait a second, you said we weren't slaves. He says, I don't call you slaves anymore. You've been made slaves of righteousness. You've been bought with a price. But you don't live like a slave. You obey like a slave obeys a master. But you think and you act and you know that I am a son. All right. Let's just skip over for a moment to John chapter 16. Just one verse over, or one chapter over, sorry. John 16, verse 12. He says, I have many more things to say to you. Isn't that that a huge deal? He says, I've got many more things to say to you. Can you imagine walking with Jesus for three years, feeling like your head's going to explode from all the stuff you just learned? Feeling like, how can I hold anything more? John says, There are not enough books in the world to hold all the things he did and said. And then he's like, I've got many more things to say to you. What? I mean, this is is life. Get used to it. This is life as a believer. The minute you think you got everything figured out. Here's, Here's what I feel like. I get through stages of my life where I walk around the house of my soul. And I look around and I go, I think I got this house figured out. I know where everything is. I can close my eyes and find the bathroom. I know this place. And then God says, oh, you do? Do you know there's a door here? I didn't know there was a door there. Is it just, just a fake door or something? And he goes, no, 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 look. And he opens the door, and there's a whole new house behind it. And you go, but I figured it all out. I memorized the floor plans. And then, you, and then he opens the door, and you go, you haven't figured anything out yet. Oh, but then it's a, it's a joy because you get to explore through him all the wonders of who he is, all the revelations, all the treasures, as the scripture says, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are held in him. So just when you think you got it figured out, you look, there's so much more to figure out. And I'm sure the disciples thought this, that he's, he's talking to them and he says, listen, we're getting near the end here. I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. God's not going to tell you more than you can handle to hear. 
So just because you think you've, you've figured it all out, it may just mean that you haven't reached a place of maturity where you can hear the rest of it. So you just keep growing, and as you grow, he teaches. He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Isn't that cool? For he will not speak on his own initiative. Well, that sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? See, they've been walking with Jesus. He says that this Holy Spirit's going to be a teacher just like I was. He says he won't speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, whatever he hears, every single thing he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. Not just what's happening now. Not just what's already happened but what's going to happen. This is life as a son, as a friend. God doesn't just treat you like a slave and say, you know what, just do it and shut up. You'll figure it out eventually. No. He says, look, you're a son now. Now, you're, now, now you step up to a new level, and this Holy Spirit, he's going to show you things that are to come. You see, before they received the Holy Spirit, they still couldn't figure some things out about what Jesus had said to them. And before he was resurrected, there were things that didn't click. But they got them later. They understood some things later. The scripture says there were some things he said that they didn't get until they got the Holy Spirit. And they're like, oh, that's what he meant. But that's the Holy Spirit in you explaining things to you. That's why it's not smart to start with the book of Revelation. If you're not born again, don't start there. Because you can't figure it out. Because it's not for you. You have got to let the Holy Spirit come and reveal and uncover and teach you. He says this. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. He'll give it to you. He'll uncover it for you. All things that the Father has are mine. This is what a son says to the Father. Everything the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So here's he saying. He's saying you're on the same level as me. He says everything the Father has, I call it mine. Isn't that funny that you can say, because I'm a son, I can say everything the Father has is mine. Now outside of him, there's nothing. If I, if I get all cocky about this and try to say, um, I get all puffed up and arrogant about it and start to say, well, if, I mean, if I've got everything, I'm going to start my own club. Then you step out of the vine, uh-oh, all of a sudden you've got nothing. He says, apart from me, you can't do anything. A son does not own everything. A son says, because I'm a son, everything the father has is mine. But when I stop being a son, I don't have that. If I weren't a son, I wouldn't have anything. But because I am a son, I've got everything the Father wants me to have. I've got everything He has. I, I can know things that I couldn't know before. I can do things I couldn't do before. I can have what I couldn't have before. And I can ask for things I couldn't ask for before. It's so important that we stop thinking like slaves, just wandering around, waiting for life to happen to us. And we open our eyes and say, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? I'm not a slave anymore. The slave doesn't know what the master's doing. 
I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. Let's look in 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> and why don't you, when you get there, can you hold, hold it like, how many of you have a finger? All right, good. Use one of those. Hold your place and go to Romans 8. Maybe you've got one of these fancy ribbons. I too have a fancy ribbon. Let's go. So we'll, we'll just start with Romans 8. Read something very familiar to all of you. So, all right, here's the deal. When you got born again, what part of you got born again? Your spirit, right? Okay. You still have the same body, don't you? It's still as dumb as it ever was, isn't it? But your spirit, spirit's alive. Your mind, it's being renewed. It's learning. It's growing. It's being washed. You're being brainwashed. That's a good thing. This is all good. You're growing up. But your body is the most animal part of you. The, 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 the scripture calls it the flesh. It says the flesh doesn't have anything good to, to add to the equation. The best the flesh can do is just, is just obey. The flesh does not come up with its own plans. What makes you different than every other animal on the planet? Spirit, right? Now, some people say soul, but when they say soul, you're, really, you're talking about the spirit. When you're, when you're saying soul. But let's define it like the scripture defines it. Let's define it like uh, most of Christianity would define it today. That we are a spirit. We have a soul and our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And we live in a body. Now, you have a puppy. You have a dog at home. That dog has a body. The dog has a very primitive version of the soul. It, it has a mind, right? It has its own will. You know that. And it has some emotions. You know when the dog's happy. You know when it's angry. You know when it's sad. You know when it's afraid. All of those things are kind of guided by instinct. A lot of things is instinct, right? That's being led by the flesh, just mere instinct. When the dog wants to go to the bathroom, unless you've trained it, he's just going to go. When the dog wants to make more puppies, the dog does that, unless there's other things that have taken place. This is life as an animal. When the dog wants to eat, the dog eats. See, oh, you may say, not my puppy. My puppy eats at 5 o'clock every day. Well, that's because you've trained it. It's because you've trained the dog to not go just by its own instincts, but to realize, oh, yes, I have a master. I listen to the master. And so the dog has said, I don't just obey my, uh, my natural instincts, but my instincts have to be changed because if I don't, here's what happens. Your dog learns. But you are not a dog. You are not a beast. You are a human being who has a spirit given to you by God. Who is a spirit, sorry. And the difference is, you've got something that no other animal on the planet has. You've got a direct connection with God through that spirit. You've got a free, sovereign will that you can either use to serve the wrong things or the right things. An animal does what the animal feels like he should do. A human being has the ability to hear the voice of God and follow it. To inquire of the Lord. It's a huge deal. And it's not something to be taken lightly. But my flesh is just that animal part of me. 
And if you let the flesh get what the flesh wants, you would be sleeping right now. You wouldn't be here. You'd eat when you wanted to eat. you sleep with whoever you wanted to sleep with. you do all the things that the flesh wants to do. We're not like that anymore, are we? We've been set free. We are not under bondage to the flesh. Thank God. You don't owe the flesh anything. But that flesh has to obey something because that's all it knows. It's really dumb. And all it knows is I got to do, I got to obey something. Before, it would just obey its instincts. It was a slave to sin. It was a slave to its own desires, slave to lust, slave to whatever. The Apostle Paul says, here's what I do. I buffet my body. It means I hit it till it's bruised. And I make it my slave. So your body is going to serve somebody. Just make it serve you. Make it serve the spirit. Make it serve the spirit instead of, the, instead of whatever it wanted to do. Now, it, just like a trained animal, it goes, okay, I do what the master says to do. And so your body begins to learn that whatever the spirit says, the soul reinforces and the body does. So when the spirit's happy, the body goes, I don't want to dance. And, you, and the spirit goes, ah, but you will, my friend. <laughs> the pastor says, shout to the Lord. And, and, and the body goes, that's in Embarrassing. It's usually the soul that says that. The body goes, I got a sore throat. The soul, the soul says, yeah, it's so embarrassing. But the spirit says, come on, boys. We're going to shout to the Lord. And the body goes, okay. Ah, and you shout to the Lord. That's probably not how you should shout to the Lord. <laughs> like a panic shout. <laughs> and your body learns. The scripture says that you're a slave to the one that you obey. He says, when you were a slave to sin, you presented your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness. You presented your bodies, your, the members of your body, that means your body parts, as a slave to sin. But when we were set free, when we were redeemed, when we were bought back, when we were raised up with him, he says, you present your bodies as tools of righteousness, as slaves of righteousness. So this means that your body is just as uh, uh, the great philosopher Dylan once said, it's going to serve somebody. Maybe the devil, maybe the Lord. Well, it's going it's to serve somebody. And so what we do is we say, okay, body. Because if you're living by the body, if you're living by the flesh, you're going back to being a slave. If you're living by a spirit, you're at, your spirit's the part of you that knows you're a son. Your spirit's the part that's been lifted up. Your spirit's the part that's seated in heavenly places. You're seated with Christ. Where's Christ sitting? He's sitting at the right hand of God. He's not sitting in a camp chair. He's sitting in a throne. So if you're sitting with Christ, you're sitting in that throne with him. That's where your spirit is. Your body is so chained to this earth, your spirit's not. Let's not get too complicated. <laughs> Romans 8. And we're going to go verse 6. He says, I, I mean, I should, I should read this whole chapter. We're, we're trying to get through this. All right. You go back and you read this whole chapter. This whole chapter will do you tons of good. He says, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh... That's your body, that's your flesh, that's your instincts, is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. 
And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not. Big words right there. You are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. So when you got born again, you stepped out of the flesh, you stepped into the spirit. He says this. But if anyone does not the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Thank God. Whose righteousness? His righteousness, which became our righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body. Listen to that. If by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body. Not by the flesh. You don't put to to death the deeds of the flesh by the flesh. You do it by the Spirit. If by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh, deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And listen to this. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Can anybody tell me what language the book of Romans was written in? Greek. So why is the word Abba in there? Abba is a Hebrew word. It's not a Greek word. It's a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word for father is Ab. Abba is an affectionate term. The difference between dad and daddy. And Paul leaves this in because when he's writing this letter, He does not say, we receive a spirit of adoption which we cry out, Father, Father. He writes in his own language using the word he spoke when he was a little boy to his own father. He says, Abba. He left it there for a reason. Thank God our English translators figured that out. They left it there too. Which we cry out. So by our spirit, our spirit cries out, I am a son and I have a daddy. That's a big deal. Verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. Now, so the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit. He's not testifying with your brain. He's not testifying with your body. He's testifying with your spirit. That we are children of God. And if we're children, we are heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him. That means we keep going. We don't quit. We keep going. So that we may also be glorified with Him. Now go to 1 Corinthians 2. So the part of you that knows who you are is your spirit, right? If you obey the spirit, you're living like a son. If you obey the flesh, you're living like a slave. We get out of that if you think like everybody else thinks. You think you're like a slave. But if you think like Jesus thought, and you think by the word, and you renew your mind by the word, you begin to think as a son. 
as a daughter. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. says in verse 6, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Eyes not seen it, ears not heard it, hasn't even entered your heart, all the things that God has prepared for those that love him. For to us, God revealed, past tense revealed, he did uncover these things, them through the Spirit, For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. You think that you'd think that there's a part of God that He's hiding, that that couldn't possibly be. We couldn't even begin to probe. But He says the Spirit searches every part, even the depths of God. It, It goes into everything that God is, and the Spirit searches it out. And He says, "For who among men knows the thoughts of a man, except the Spirit of the man which is in him?" Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, this is the same Spirit in John 16 that Jesus said was going to tell you everything He saw, everything He heard. He says the Holy Spirit's going to be one giant tattletale that's going to tell you everything. And now He says no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Verse 12. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. You see, this is why you have to have the Holy Spirit. This is the difference between being a son and a slave, that you may know the things freely given to you by God. You can't just let life happen to you. Because here, according to this scripture, you are supposed to know what's given to you. Why? Because if you don't know what's given, you won't go and get it. You won't receive it. You won't take it. Apparently, you're not just a slave who gets force-fed whatever meal comes his way. You are a son who has to know, this is what I have. These are my rights. This is my inheritance. And I'm going to ask. And he says, Jesus said, whatever you ask, the Father will give. He doesn't just say the Father is going to give you whatever he wants to give you, does he? He says you have to ask for it. How can you ask for it unless you know what he's given you? I don't buy the brand of spirituality that says whatever happens, happens. Because if you live that way, whatever happens will happen to you. But if you act like a son, you realize, I should know some things. I should know. I'm going to bring this to some practical application for you. Can I do that? I should know what the next step of my life is. And I should be praying about it. And I should be asking God for some things that I need to accomplish that. Now, I should listen to him first, because here's the deal. He lets you cheat. Not cheat in a bad way, but in a good way. He tells you what to pray. He tells you what you need. And you just respond to that. You say, okay, that's what I need. And you just... 
believe it. And you receive it. You ask for it. Once you've asked for it, you believe you have it. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. It's not complicated. You shouldn't wait until someone has to prophesy over you before you figure out what the next five years of your life hold. I don't know what the next five years of my life hold, but I do know the next few steps. And I've been praying about them. And I've been standing on the word about them. And my eyes have been open to some things. Do you realize that Moses was called the friend of God? He says Moses would go into that tent of meeting and God would speak to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses knew he was about to die, why? Because he was enough of a friend that God said, you're not going to the promised land. He didn't just die and go, I guess I'm not going. Now he knew he wasn't going. So what, what happened? Can somebody tell me who followed Moses? Who was the, who was the person that led, him, led the Israelites after Moses? Joshua. Who picked Joshua? Well, this is tricky, isn't it? Technically, God picked Joshua. God was the one that picked him out. You know, you we all understand Moses taught him and instructed him. But here's the deal. God was the one that picked Joshua. Joshua had been serving Moses. But if you look in the book of Numbers, here's what happens. Moses knows he's about to die. And he says, God, I'm asking you to appoint a successor who can lead these people after I'm gone so that they won't be like sheep without a shepherd. And God responds and says, okay, pick Joshua. Put your hands on him and impart something to him. See, God picked Joshua, but Moses was the one who had to ask for it. God didn't say, Moses, you're going to need a successor. Have you thought about that? I'm going to tell you who it is. Moses had to ask for it. I'll tell you why that's important to me. Because right now, I'm looking at things that God has called us to do, and I go, I need somebody to do this. and somebody, We need somebody to step up into this place. And God said, listen, ask for it. Ask for them. Joshua was there the whole time. God didn't create him at that moment. He'd been there. He'd been serving. He'd been faithful. It said he'd been serving Moses since he was a boy. He was faithful. But when Moses had the guts as a friend to say, God, I need this guy, God says, good, I'm glad you asked. Here he is. All right, let's get through this. We're getting near the end here. He says, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. You have to know, because if you don't know, you can't ask. If you can't ask, James says, you can't have. Now we can go and we can march down the Christian bookstore and find 15 books in 30 seconds that tell you just wait and see what God throws your way and receive it with thankfulness. And there, are, there is some truth in being content and being thankful, but understand that if you don't know what's supposed to happen, you'll never ask for it, and you'll just take whatever happens, and you'll think it all came from God. But it didn't all come from God. He says this, we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak. When he says we, he's talking right now about him as an apostle, his fellow ministers. He's talking about the people that speak wisdom to the, to the mature. And he says, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. And the New American Standard says combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. The English Standard Version says it very well, and I believe this is a 
Does anybody have an ESV here tonight? <laughs> Barry, how fast can you get the ESV up? Barry's, thank God, he's, uh, is this your first Sunday doing this, Barry? No. But <laughs> we don't let him do it too long before I throw something new at him. In, in the English Standard Version, I'll go ahead and quote it to you, and if he gets it up, he'll get it up. It says, it says, in which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual thoughts for spiritual people. You hear that? Interp- there. Wow, we got verse 1. All right, so skip down to verse, yeah, 1 Corinthians 2, chapter, 2, verse 13. He says, which we things also we speak, interpreting spiritual thoughts for spiritual people. Which means, if you're going to understand the things freely given to you by God, he says, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Once we know, we preach it. We teach it. How do we teach it? How do we preach it? In spiritual, we're interpreting spiritual thoughts for, lately, here we go. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Ah, these are the sons of God, those that are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God, those that are living by the Spirit, not the flesh. These are the ones that understand things to come. These are the ones that see things ahead. And you can come to church, and it makes no sense to you unless you're open to the Spirit of God. So he says, our part is to impart this. Impart what? The things freely given to us by God. Impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. He says this. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. That means he judges all things, understands all things, figures these things out. Yet he himself is judged or appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you were not yet able For you are still fleshly. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Oh, that's not for us. You got to develop the spiritual part of you. Say, I'm going to be a spiritual person. I was bought back so I could be a born again living spirit. Jesus died. To give life to my spirit. I'm not going to ignore it now. I'm going to live by it. And when I live by it. When I listen to it. I understand things. I see things to come. I stop thinking like a slave. When you live after the flesh. He says they're acting like mere humans. Isn't that weird? It's not okay to act like a, a normal person. Because he says mere humans. They're still slaves. They're still thinking. By whatever they feel like doing. But when you're born again, your spirit is connected to the spirit of God. Hears the voice of God. Sees the things that God wants you to see. Knows things that are going to happen before they happen. 
Not everything. But what you need to know, you'll see. And I could promise you this. Can I tell you something? The deeper you go with God, the more you'll know. The more you'll see ahead. Look at the life of Daniel. Look at the life of David. David spent so much time in, in personal worship time with God that he started prophesying about what Jesus would go through. He started channeling what Jesus was going to feel on the cross. That's seeing ahead. Abraham was enough of a friend of God that Jesus said he saw my day and rejoiced. He saw his day. Daniel spent enough time in prayer that he saw all the way through the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. The more you'll devote to the Spirit, the further you'll see. Because God is not a hider. He's a revealer. And if you'll think like a son, you'll say, God wants me to know some things. You think like a slave, you go, whatever happens, happens. If I can be spiritual, live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, inquire of the Spirit, I can know what God wants me to know so that I can have what God wants me to have so that I can do what God wants me to do. Amen. Amen. Would you stand up? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are not slaves. You are not slaves. You've been elevated. You've been escalated. You've been brought up. Raised up, seated with Him. God has a good view. God has a good view of life. He's got a good view. You know what? His view is not limited to time. When we think of God's perspective, sometimes we think He's up there, He sees China at the same time He sees Canada. But you're forgetting He's seeing the future at the same time He's seeing the present. So God's perspective is not just global. It's eternal. And when you can see from God's perspective, you're going to think long term. You'll think ahead. You'll know ahead. You'll, oh my goodness, how many times did I come home and have my mom ask me, what happened today that I prayed for you so much? I almost got hit by a car on my bike. Uh-huh. That happened a lot, didn't it? I'm, I was reckless. <laughs> There are a lot of things God wants you to know. One of the big things is what you're supposed to have. The things freely given to you by God. God wants you to know these things. He wants you to ask for them. But you've got you to open up your eyes. Open up your ears. Open up your heart. Let yourself be, be a spiritual person that says, I, I live by my spirit. I, I follow my spirit. And if my spirit doesn't feel right, I'm not going there. If my spirit doesn't feel right, I'm not saying it. I don't say anything unless I hear the Holy Spirit tell my spirit to say it, and, I'll, and then I'll say it. You know, if you live life like that, it may sound like more work, but it's far more productive. It's the kind of life that bears fruit because that's abiding in Him. Where you go, if, if I'm not in you, I can't take a breath. If I'm not in you, I can't make a move. If I'm not in you, I can't preach a sermon. If I'm not in you, I can't pray a prayer. I must be in you, led by your Spirit, moved by your power, empowered by your anointing. This is who I'm meant to be. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, the Lord is good. We're just going to pray right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
We glorify You this morning. We exalt You and magnify You. We ask, Lord, that You would teach us as sons. Instruct us as children of God. Not merely as men, but as their sons and daughters of the King. Father, there are people here who have no clue what the next step is. And now they're asking, God, what is the next step? And I ask, Lord, that you would open the eyes of their heart that they could see. Open their ears that they would hear. Open their hearts that they could understand what they couldn't understand before. For we are now inquiring of the Lord and saying, Lord, where do we go? What do we do? What do we say? Because we know that you have given us all things. You've granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Everything we need, you've already given. So now, Lord, reveal those things. O Spirit of revelation, we ask that you unveil the things freely given to us by God. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.